Thank you so very much, Mark. I told him yesterday to be kind, and he was. He was very kind. Well, it is very good to be with you. It really is. You are my favorite students in the entire universe. You realize that. And we're including Mars and everything in that. So it is very good to be here. How many made it through Valentine's? You did? How many got chocolate or gave some? Beautiful. I, got it. I brought some. I was thinking, you know, people that sit in the front should get chocolate. So here you go. There's, there you go. If you want to throw them back, you got them. You realize that chocolate are a, a woman's best friend. Did you know that? In a study I read in the Calgary Herald, so it must have been true, number one passion among women, chocolate. Number three, men. Three. Two was cats, I think. I don't know what it was. I had missed it over. I was crying by then to think that we were third. You know a man's best friend? Dog. If ever you doubt this, try a little experiment. Lock your wife and your dog in the bathroom for about 14 minutes. And when you open the door, see who's glad to see you. No, promise me you will never do that. No, do not be doing this. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I want to show you a picture of my wife and I a couple years ago at, uh, in a much warmer spot celebrating Valentine's. I'll tell you a little later why February 14th is a very big deal to us. My wife yesterday, I said to her, I said, uh, do you have a date for Valentine's? And she said, February 14th. <laughs> I thought that was funnier. Okay, that's all right. Well, this morning we are going to talk about the social regulations at Prairie Bible College, Prairie Bible Institute, Prairie College, down through the years. Uh, I'm going to leave it off in about the 70s because after that it wasn't so interesting, um, perhaps. But uh, I am going to ask all the guys just to sit all the way over here. Just run for that side. The girls for this side. No, no, okay. It's okay. You guys, come to the front. You two, come. Come, we have chocolate here for you. Quickly. <laughs> Quickly. Just, just one piece each. Sit, sit here. Yeah, yeah. Not too close. Over there. All right. Thank you. Okay, beautiful. If you want to give them more chocolate, you feel free to go ahead. Yeah, so I would... It sounds strange, I know, to talk about that, but that's my history. This was the guys from over here. The girls were all over here, and that was just near the twain shall meet, as the scriptures say. And it sounds a little weird. It really does. It sounds strange. But do we live in strange times right about now? Mark just made an announcement about the masks and all that's going on. We really do. Uh, for 30 years, it has been my job to cheer people up. That's sort of what I do for a living. And uh, the last two years, I've been able to do that on radio, but not face to face. And I have missed this so much. Miss speaking, seeing people like you, hearing people laugh, and the talks afterwards, I, I remember talking at a marriage event where down near the front was a lovely young couple. She was laughing at all my jokes, but her husband would not laugh at a thing I had to say. He looked so sour. He looked like he could suck buttons off a sofa. He was just, I guess the whole time. And, and, and she, was, she was laughing. What? Afterwards, she came up to me. She shook my hand. She said, Phil, I just want to thank you. I have not seen my husband laugh this hard in years. <laughs> True story. It's crazy. I was in Ontario, and just before I got up, a guy came to me, and he said, uh, you know what, I listen to you every day on the radio, and, and, and he kind of paused, and he said, uh, 
I had this image of you in my mind, and then he paused a little longer, and he said, I prefer that image. <laughs> oh, so I punched him. No, I didn't. I, we started to laugh. What else are you going to do? You know, I'm, I, you, I'm aging, and I don't look like I used to do back in, in the teen years, and it's okay. It would be really weird if I did. Um, but it's, it's good. I am approaching 50. I will not tell you from which side I'm approaching 50, but I am. Two ladies came up to me uh, after an event somewhere, and I could tell by looking at them coming toward me that something was going on. They were arguing about something. And, and so they finally came over to me, and the, and the one said, uh, uh, can you help us? You, you were talking about how your mother gave birth to you at the age of, she was almost 40. And she said, I don't think mothers should, should have children after 35. What do you think? I said, I completely agree. 35 is a lot of children. You know, and they started to laugh and they left there. I don't know, they've been arguing about this. And out they went laughing. And I think it's a good idea. How many think it's okay to laugh as Christians? Think we have a few things to laugh about? How many have been forgiven? Have you? Yeah. We married guys have been forgiven almost daily, I'm telling you. It's very good. But not everybody wants you laughing, some people want you miserable. Here's a letter from a guy. I, 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 this is, I, I'm just quoting it. There's no record of Jesus laughing. Why do you encourage it? Evidently, this guy had not spent time camping with 12 other men. <laughs> as Jesus did. They must have laughed, don't you think? They must have laughed. And this morning, I'm going to tell you about some years when if you did not laugh, you pretty much lost your mind, you know. I mean, you need a good sense of humor if you're going to be a Bible college student. When you get to be a parent of small kids, you're going to need a good sense of humor and no sense of smell. That's what you're going to need. It's a good idea. But first, I want to congratulate you personally. I'm glad I'm here to be able to do that. You have made it this far. It's almost two years. You realize that you are going to tell your grandkids about this stage of life. You will. You will. If the Lord allows, if he waits if we're going to be, you know, living more than another two years, like people say, we're not going to. It's, this is the end. But I think we're going to be here a while. And until we're not, let's be faithful. You have, uh, you, you're going to tell your grandkids about this. And they are going to look at you and go, huh? What? This morning, we should pass out t-shirts, I survived the great toilet paper crisis of 2020. That time when people began buying toilet paper like every tree on earth was now gone gone. And our mother said to us, get out there and buy us some toilet paper or you are going to have to use tree bark and leaves and, and old Sears catalogs and, 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 and newspaper and 40 grit sandpaper. That's what you're going to have to do. So get out there and load up. You're going to tell your grandkids about this time. And I hope you tell them that God was with us. Has he been with you? He's been with us. That he's always done remarkable things in the dark. Have you noticed that? I hope you've stayed thankful during this time. It hasn't been easy. But how many here have gone into a bank with a mask on without getting arrested? Come on. Yes, a whole bunch of you have. Isn't that cool? There's something to be thankful for. You know, uh, there's a part of my growing up years that I tell my grandkids about and they look at me, huh, you what? Partly because their age is, you know, one to seven, uh, so they don't understand a thing I have to say and don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But here they are. This is them. 
13 grandkids came along in five years, three thanks to the miracle of adoption during COVID. And it's been a wild time. You know, we, we just, what, they're such a blast. Someone said to me, are you Mormon or Catholic? That's what they said with all these kids. I said, we're exhausted, that's what we are. And, and we're very, very happy. But the part of my past that most people, when I share it with them somehow, you know, we get talking about stuff and I talk about the old days, they look at me and they say, huh? The part of my past is this long stretch of Prairie's history that many say was more about law than about grace. And I think you'll agree pretty soon that they have a good point. When celebrating 100 years as a school, it's okay to acknowledge that not everything that transpired are we entirely proud of. Mark Maxwell, in his very finite wisdom, asked me to talk about such a a season, which I remember as this, the social distancing years, right? The social distancing years. I went from kindergarten to Prairie Bible College at Prairie. So Mark says, you're qualified to speak on this topic. He said, you know all about the Prairie rules because you broke every single one of them, didn't you? I said, no, I want to see a lawyer. Of course I didn't. I am completely innocent. I was completely innocent up until about puberty, you know, when my voice began to change. It was, just, it was weird, you know. Everything changed in those days. I became aware of girls. Girls? Wow. And of rules that we had called social regulations. And you thought social distancing was new, didn't you? No, sir. Nada. Niet. Some say the social distancing years all began when a dean who meant well suggested something very spiritual that everyone, the girls, the guys, began to carry Bibles and they would place those Bibles between them, preferably a a large illustrated family Bible. You know, that would be good. Or better yet, an entire set of John MacArthur commentaries. (laughs) Line them up, you know, there in between you. Get that going. But here's the deal, sadly, People started bringing Gideon New Testaments. (laughs) Putting them between them. You know, hello. That kind of thing. And so it didn't seem to work. Now, um, (laughs) I didn't find the Bible rule uh, in the handbook, believe it or not. But what what happened uh, next, I'm told, was that uh, the six-inch rule was born. Very important that that came along. It was less subjective than the Bible rule, more quantifiable. It was six inches. You couldn't argue with this. It forbade guys and gals from sitting closer than that ruler would allow. Now, I didn't find that either uh, in the handbooks. I looked. Others had it, but not Prairie. Here's an actual uh, one from a school, from Midwestern Baptist College. (laughs) I love that. But not not Prairie. Sometimes social distancing, uh, by the way, doesn't seem to work, you know, six inches apart. And then that works for a little while, but then the guys, they start, yeah. yeah and then the girls, you know, you just, it's, it's a real hard thing to govern. It is. And uh, <laughs> this is my wife and I during uh, the Bible college years. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of disturbing on every level, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. All this to say that if the six-inch rule ever existed at Prairie, uh, it was short-lived. Mark Maxwell told me, he said, you know, we used to have a six-inch rule. Turns out society determined that we were right, but we were far too liberal. And lately, uh, in 2020, they set the proper distance at six feet. That's a quote from Mark. Well, there are many wild 
and, 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 and widely traveled myths about those years. So I want to look with you at just a few of the statements together and see what is true and what is false. Are you ready for a little quiz? Here we go. All right. We got the myth busters up. Let's hear it for them. Yes. Okay. True or false? Here we go. Ready? A president of Prairie once scolded a couple for talking only to be told, we're married. How many say true? Okay, how many say false? That can't be. Everybody's saying true. It was true. It was true. Here's another. A prairie girl was scolded for having a hole in the knee of her bathing suit. How many say yes? Yes. It's, no, no, it's not. It's false. It's false, okay? It's false. Another one. True or false? Was this a favorite joke in the 70s? What's the difference between a prairie girl and a garbage can? A garbage can gets taken out once a week. That's terrible. Terrible. Don't be telling that joke. Don't be telling that joke. True or false? In the 70s, men were allowed to go downtown Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Ladies were allowed on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and on Saturday afternoons. How many say, no, that's not possible? It's true. It is true. Yeah. True or false? Prairie once had pink and blue sidewalks. How many say yes? Never happened. Didn't have them. This was as close as we got with stuff like this on the sidewalks. Yeah, that's about it. All right, well, how did you do? If I had more chocolate, I'd throw it out at this point. I think it's important to understand a little bit of context. Uh, conservative social rules were not unusual 70 years ago. They were a reflection of the church and camp cultures of that era. Some called Prairie Boot Camp for missions. And in some respects it was, but you have to imagine with me this. World War II has just ended. Times are serious. Nothing about COVID compares. I know we've been through some tough stuff. Nothing compares. My father was in, in this horrible war that saw 75 to 80 million perish. I remember when mom and dad lived with us just before Alzheimer's and dementia came on, but they would, I would hear them talking sometimes. They had a suite in our house. And they would be going down, uh, the, the kids in their class, and dad would say, uh, mom would say, uh, Johnny. And dad would say, France. He would list where all of them had been killed. 3% of the global population was killed. People spoke of the end time. Some sold their houses, waited on hillsides for the rapture. I read of a guy who refused to go to the dentist. It's the end. Jesus is coming. What do I need my teeth for? You know? They were that desperate. But here's Ellie Maxwell. Picture this. On the radio, traveling, speaking, telling young people, come. Don't give up. Come. Get a solid foundation in Bible so that you can shine your light whatever lies ahead. Prairie could barely put up buildings fast enough in those days for all the students that were coming. My parents arrived by train from Ontario about 70 years ago, hoping to become missionaries. And one of the models was training disciplined soldiers for Jesus Christ. This right here is the handbook my dad was given. Uh, 1949, listen to this. General regulations, rules are never intended to embarrass or to disturb, but to contribute to the highest good and to make possible the fulfillment of the hopes you entertain when coming to the Institute. 
It is assumed that students who come to school do not desire to be disturbed in their serious business by undue social intercourse. For mutual protection, the following regulations are considered necessary. Young men and women are not to converse with one another except by permission or on business occasions in connection with Christian duty about the institute. And at no time during attendance at the institute will they keep company. It goes on for about another page. I found it very interesting that this was short. It was just 15 pages long. Fast forward to the year of my birth, 1961. This is the handbook. It was 70 pages now, partly because so many issues surfaced. Students found things way around things. Uh, rules needed clarification. This one has a three and a half page index. And here's just a little bit from a, a section called social life. Social regulations between men and women students are carefully regulated during their years in school in order that all students may be unhindered in the serious business of study and preparation for the Lord's work. During the school year, young men and women are not to converse or have correspondence with one another, except by permission or on business occasions, like the last one said, in connection with Christian duty. At no time during attendance at the institute will they keep company. Between school terms and during other holidays, in order to assist our students to keep first things first in Christian life and service, we have the following regulations. And it goes on to list all kinds of things for engaged couples, young married couples, uh, seniors with understandings, things like that. There you go. Well, here's the 1973 handbook. No, no, not, not really. I'm kidding. This, by the way, is for you next year. This is the handbook that we are working on. This one is a larger size with a larger index. This is from pages 44 to 45 of social standards. The distinctive function of Prairie Bible Institute is to train young people for Christian service. Approximately 50% of our students have gone into missionary service overseas. Therefore, in order that our students may be unhindered in the serious business of training, of studying the word of God and completing their training for the Lord's service, and of finding and fulfilling the will of God for their lives, social relations are carefully regulated between men and women during their years of attendance at Prairie. We realize it is quite natural for young men and women to become interested in one another. This God-ordained inclination, though not sinful in itself, nevertheless calls for godly self-control. Outside the will of God, this highest affection is capable of the greatest perversion. One of the most crucial tests which face young, Christian young people today is whether or not they will lay aside or control their interest in one another so that they may put God and his will first in their lives. Basically then, our social standards are but a segment of the far greater principle of the Christian life, namely the life of dynamic discipleship, the crucified life, the renunciation and denial of the self-life. Since many young people today do not possess the self-discipline required to keep their interests in proper perspective to their divine calling, these regulations are designed to assist them to seek first the kingdom of God, that's a long sentence, and his righteousness. And then they go down through acquaintance, interest, going steady. Are any of you going steady? I hope you're going steady in other ways too. Going steady and understanding, engagement, defining all these terms. It, uh, it goes on uh, to, to clarify just a, a lot of things. Clearly, this was not Prairie Bridal College, am I right? You did not come to find a spouse, <laughs> but to study God's word, learn personal discipline, get to know him, and prepare to serve him. And who can argue that the results were stunning? 
From the Caribbean to Germany to Spain to Greece to Hong Kong, we have met Prairie alumni, awesome Prairie alumni. We were in Singapore in the airport and all of a sudden the, the guy says, Phil, and his wife says, Ramona. And there we are hugging these, these two grads who have served God faithfully there for decades. They met at Prairie, how cool. Yet, I gotta tell you, you get a sense in reading these handbooks, it wasn't easy to meet a girl, a guy. The deans had their work cut out for them. Imagine policing these policies. New rules would appear each subsequent year because love will find a way. And students were creative, like you. If we cannot talk with the girls, we can at least gaze upon them. And so we will bring binoculars to school this next year, and we will go into the men's dormitory, JK dorm was over here, and we will gaze across Jordan through binoculars. Okay, so this is what was happening. I don't think it was happening all the time, but there was a, I think, you know, they were spying out Canaan, as it were. So to bring an accurate report back to their fellow pilgrims. A few were caught, of course. In one case, an interesting case, uh, 3B19 on page 44 of our handbooks. No, I'm kidding. A concerned woman noticed the setting sun glinting off two glasses over in JK dorm and reported it. One wonders if she herself was just looking upon the architecture of the men's dormitory. Oh, well, I, but that's another matter. <laughs> but she testified as to the exact floor and, and, and room and uh, the window in which the viewer had been sighting in his scope. So a dean went to investigate only to discover the culprit was gone and it was the garbage room. The culprit was never apprehended, my friends. He may be out there in ministry somewhere, perhaps heading a large organization. It's one of Prairie's unsolved mysteries. We know a little about it. A women sat on the west and men on the east side of the Prairie Tabernacle, which could seat, by the way, 3,500, imagine. Some of the creative faithful worked out signals with that special someone 80 yards away. They couldn't talk, but they could, you know, do, do, do signal. A, a, a yawn meant, uh, I, I sure miss you, Peachikins. You know, you're better than this. Gazing up at the roof meant, I don't know, I'd like to be raptured with you perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> Stretching, just, you know, signaled, uh, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I, I wish I could discuss this sermon with you, Lambie Pie. Well, you think, I, well, I think Prairie should present all students who attended up to about 1985 an honorary degree, like a master's degree in nonverbal communication because they had to, to find ways around different things. And of course, there were those who disregarded the rules altogether. I know that surprises you. In fact, after a youth event in this very room, the room had been cleared. The girls went out that way, of course, the guys out this way, but a couple of them got mixed up. And, and, and one of our long-serving staff members, whom I will not name, though his initials are Tim McKenzie, <laughs> was necking with my sister in the entryway right back there. There, necking. How many don't have a clue what necking is? That's just, it's anatomically weird, I know, but they were, they were out there kissing is what they were doing. They've been married more than 40 years now. Where that door was, between these two uh, rooms, there were two doors and you opened this one and you went through a, a space about this wide. There was a second door. 
right, for sound purposes, but a few couples found a way of just getting together in there and discussing things, apparently. They would get caught in there. The night watchman would come, so they learned to listen very carefully. And one could go this way, the other could go the other way. And, and there was hiding under benches, things like that going on. I know, I, I was never involved in anything like this, just so you know, on the record, of course not. Uh, <clears throat> more on that later. But they were desperate times for some. They called for desperate measures. I, uh, these are just anecdotes from others, of course. It's surprising that somehow along the way, many of us managed to find a spouse. I uh, was in grade 10 here when a girl by the name of Ramona moved in next door to me, and God's word became abundantly clear uh, right there in Scripture, in black and white, in Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and thus it was that I looked forth from my window one day and saw her walking around her yard, looking behind shrubs and squinting, confused. And I felt a call to find out what troubled her. And this I did only to find that her cat was missing. And I thought to myself, I hope that cat stays missing. I just want to look for it with her. I will spend days doing this. That's fine. And the next morning, I looketh out my window once again and beheld her beauty. And I saith unto myself, walk her to school, you fool. Find out more. Carry her books for her as your gentleman father hath instructed thee. <laughs> now a teacher had moved from the deep south from a Bible college there right in across the street. He will remain nameless unless you ask me later who he was. Um, but he lived across there and he was very earnest and very sincere and always very troubled when he looked at me and watched me very carefully, not with binoculars, but he tried to enforce every single rule and his work was cut out for him. So we got in trouble for things like visiting in our front yard in the daytime. So he summoned me into his office and he opened his Bible and he read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, Philip. I said, I, I didn't touch her, I just held her cat. He read 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. How can you respond to that verse? It's the ultimate trump card. You know, Martin Luther once wrote these words about his own father. My own father was hard, unyielding, and relentless. I cannot help but think of God that way. Wow. I later discovered that this guy was so harsh with his children that they abandoned ship. In time, he learned that rules without relationship equals almost always rebellion. All I can say is this, thank God for other teachers. One who said, uh, she was, uh, there's just a humorous anecdote. She, she was troubled about some of the goings on between the boys and the girls and, and she got up in front of the class and said, there's been some kissing going on right underneath my nose. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, right? A few started to laugh and then the others got, ha, going. And, but there were some gracious teachers and I want to center in on them, you know, I think a, a key to life, to the joy-filled life, is to, to focus on things that are good and pure and lovely, of good, re, good report, you know those things. But I think of Ken Penner, who, um, what a guy. He got up right here, and with 300 students, high school students in this room, he said, I am here to ask your forgiveness. I was very harsh yesterday in the boys' lounge, and he deserved to be. I was in there. Somebody really told him off. It wasn't good. Very, very disrespectful. And Ken lost it. 
And then he came and he got up here and he told what had happened. And I'm sorry he specifically mentioned to the guys in there and to all of you. I have a temper and God's getting a hold of it. And God, by his grace, uh, just changed this guy. And, and what, a, what a man. What a man of God. And you know, I, I had such hope when I talked to Ken or dealt with him in any way. It was like, he, this is a guy who is, is living the Christian faith, but not always perfectly. Maybe there's hope for a guy like me. I am grateful for teachers like that. I'm grateful for my parents who were the real deal. They were not one thing in public and another thing at home. They showed me God's grace in the midst of lots of ungrace. You know, dad never found the rules constrictive. Uh, for one thing, he'd been in the army, right? And he was married. Ah, that's unfair. But you know, at your age, he would have called himself a slave to sin. He later said that he'd been freed to righteousness. Came from a family where alcohol was incredibly prevalent and a problem. They saw a sign, drink Canada dry, and they gave it their best shot. <laughs> and then Jesus got a hold of my daddy, and he changed him forever. I would not be here, of course, without that. But he loved prairie. My mom went over to the dean, frustrated when I was in high school, living next door to this girl that I really liked secretly giving her valentines. I gave her one we pulled out yesterday, this little locket. Uh, I think it was in grade 11 that I gave her that. She hung it around her neck and still does sometimes with tiny little pictures of us in it. But my mom went to the dean and said, what am I to do? I've got this widow and her daughter next door. Can I be normal? Can I, can I be hospitable? Can I be biblical? And he kind of hung his head and he said, Bernice, you, you, know, you know what to do. You've been walking with God longer than I have. And so there was grace if you really went looking. We carried on in a relatively normal fashion. Though the dean called me in and he told me I was not to walk her to school. And especially, you know, you should not be carrying her books. What are you doing? Well, my daddy, I said, what, what am I supposed to do? Because I come out of the house and she's walking there. I, I watched out a window to time it. Um, <laughs> what am I to do? He said, walk behind her. And so that's what I, I walked, and I liked it back there. It was good. It was, but <laughs> for, we had conversations from 15 feet. So how is it going, you know, that kind of thing. Ah, those were the good old days. That summer, Ramona first took my hand at a place called Pine Lake, 30 minutes to the north of here. I know it was illegal, but it was also awesome. I'm telling you, it was electrical. One of the things about being denied conversations in public places was that the forbidden became even more desirable, and we got to know each other well during hour-long conversations on the phone, which were also illegal, something that was clarified in a handbook. And during one of those calls in grade 12, she said to me, I have to tell you something. She told me about her father's death. He drowned when she was eight as she watched in a flood in a boat in southern Saskatchewan. She said he had Huntington's disease when he drowned. I said, what's that? She said, well, it's a genetic disorder that causes mental and physical deterioration. Uh, I have a 50% chance it's genetic. I didn't know what to say, what would you say? I said, what came to mind, it was grade 12, I said, I love you, I wanna marry you. We, after we were married, found out that she could find out about the gene. Uh, in March of 1993, the gene 
was, was discovered for Huntington's. And so we went into Calgary, had a simple test, and then waited 10 months for the results. It was Valentine's Day. We were finally told, February 14th, you can come and hear the results. So we went in with friends from here, fellow staff members, Vance and Sherry Newdorf, went with us and we went down a long hallway and into a doctor's office and this doctor pulled out an envelope, opened it, you know, like the Grammys or something. And, 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 and it told us that she did not have the gene for Huntington's, which means that she didn't have it, our children could not have it nor pass it along. It's a remarkable thing when you consider now that three of her siblings have died of it, that now nieces and nephews are passing away of Huntington's disease. But you know, during those 10 months of waiting, it was astounding how much peace I had. And I think it came from the peace of just taking the next step like I'd watched some people do here. Couples who didn't always see eye to eye, who hung in there in the tough times. I had seen their faithfulness and I would stay faithful too. You know, we all lug around a little bit of baggage with us, don't we? Here's some honest things I'll just tell you. Mine is hypocrisy. We were in Hong Kong. This lady stepped out in front of us in the Mong Kok market and she said, you want copy watch? I said, what's a copy watch? She said, we have three kinds, fake, 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 and genuine fake. These copy watches. So I bought three fake, genuine fake Rolex watches, $22 each for my kids and they fell apart. My kids didn't, but the watches did. <laughs> fake, that's me. I was as fake as a 50 cent sirloin steak. You know, we Christians did not stop wearing, did not start wearing masks in 2020. I heard great sermons growing up, but I also heard visiting speakers tell us to burn our jeans and our record albums. Man, some did. I burned some really good ones. Olivia Newton John, for instance. Man, let's get physical. Well, no, I don't think that was out yet. I thought God was a cosmic killjoy who was most pleased when I was most miserable. I asked Jesus into my heart about 150 times, mostly during 1970s end times horror movies, some of them in this room. Yet in time, I gotta tell you, I have come to love God out of gratitude, not out of fear. I learned judgmentalism. I grew up with a faith that was entirely outward, a faith defined by what I avoided. And I still have to remind myself often that God accepts me, not because of how I behave or what I do, but because of what he has done by his grace. Two weeks ago yesterday, I talked with Philip Yancey, uh, interviewing him for Servant Magazine. His experience in a conservative church involved horrific racism as well as verbal abuse from his own mother, a respected Bible teacher who told him and his brother Marshall the worst things possible you could ever tell anybody to set them up for life. And his brother Marshall is so far from God and yet Philip has hung on. His experience at a Southern Bible college was similar to my experience here. And this is what he wrote, listen to this. In the churches of my youth, we sang about God's grace and yet I seldom felt it. I saw God as a stern taskmaster, eager to condemn and punish. I have come to know instead a God of love and beauty who longs for our wholeness. I assumed that surrender to God involved a kind of shrinking, avoiding temptation, grimly focusing on the spiritual things while I prepared for the afterlife. On the contrary, God's good world presented itself as a gift 
to enjoy with grace-filled eyes. That resonates with me, doesn't it with you? Looking back, I gotta tell you, I am grateful for so much for a grounding in scripture, for a sense of humor inherited from my parents, from a mother who would say things like, you know, eat up, that way you'll be harder to kidnap. (laughs) A sense of humor helped me survive. Please don't attempt ministry without one, or parenting, or just about any facet of life. I am thankful for the discipline learned here. I wouldn't have written 30 books without it. I am thankful I was around enough to see prairie grow and change and become what it is now. I'm grateful I got to see God's grace at work in me, in others. I think of teachers who later later apologized for being harsh, for presidents who wrote our alumni humbly asking for forgiveness. I'm grateful I get to talk to people as I travel who say, those were the best years of my life. Many of you are gonna say that, believe it or not, one day. I think of couples like my parents who showed me what faithfulness and commitment look like. How do you put a price tag on that? Amid the messes I've made and seen, I've watched God redeem people, and most remarkably of all, I've seen him redeem me. The great American theologian Don Henley of the Eagles sang these words, how can love survive in such a graceless age? You are in a graceless age. It is a cancel culture where grace is almost officially gone. But in this culture, may it always be found among us, the redeemed. May we experience it and may we pass it on. May God bless each of you as you guard your hearts and your minds in a wild and crazy world and as you put your default settings on God's grace. Here's my prayer for you from Philippians 1, 9, and 10. And this is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Thank you.